Welcome in everybody to episode 198 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Lot to get into today. Here's the scoop. I am recording on Wednesday afternoon, uh, shortly after the Chase Young announcement at Ohio State. So that's kind of the most recent development as I record here. Have some things to do Wednesday night and wanted to make sure this show gets out. So the point being, if anything crazy happens in college hoops on Wednesday, it's going to have to wait till next week. Villanova plays Ohio State. LSU, the bad boys, go to play at VCU. So listen, if LSU-VCU goes 11 overtimes, well, if it goes 11 overtimes, I might jump back in and figure out a way to record a segment here later in the evening. But as a general rule, I'm recording on Wednesday because I wanted to get this episode out. The big story in college sports, obviously, the number one ranked Kentucky Wildcats losing to Evansville at home. Friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Walter McCarty. Huge, massive win. I'm going to get into that and why, frankly, it, it, there's both reason for concern and reason that I'm really not concerned about that Kentucky game, but I do think that it showed one of their weaknesses and something that they will have to improve on if they expect to beat just about anybody, let alone the elite teams in college basketball. We are going to continue with James Wiseman. I got a ton of response from the James Wiseman segment that I did on Monday's show. I am going to continue to layer it, take you to the next step. James Wiseman played on Tuesday night for the University of Memphis against Oregon. I'm going to tell you why, listen, some of the media is going to gonna praise Memphis for, oh, they're, they're, thick, they're sticking their thumbs up, they're sticking their, their middle finger up to the NCAA, it's stupid. Stop with the nonsense. Stop with the all that stuff. It's really idiotic. I'm going to explain why. And I'm going to wrap with maybe even a little Pac-12 hoops. The Pac-12 is on fire. Oregon has a big win over... Um, over Memphis, Washington beat Baylor, Arizona beat Illinois. I'm going to ask the question, is the top of the Pac-12 as good as any conference in college basketball? We will conclude with some college football. Obviously, the new ranking is out, LSU at number one. We'll talk about that, and we'll wrap with some of the weekend's games. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict, Podbean, Tune in radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Most of you do it, obviously, through iTunes. And, of course, if you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app. If you are listening to this episode on the Kentucky Sports Radio feed, we're giving you a free preview. Make sure you come over to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast feed. Subscribe over there. You will not regret it. Also, as I said, rate and review the show Give us a quick five stars. That stuff, it seems like it doesn't matter, but it really does help. If you want to be nice, you can even do like uh, C, uh, Char Dunn 20 did when he said, the best sports podcast going. Aaron is usually spot on with his takes, even if I don't always like them. Aaron is the man. So thank you to Char Dunn 20. And I'll say this. I'm glad you don't always agree with my takes. If, I, if you agree with everything I say, I'm probably doing a pretty boring show. So thank you to Char Dunn. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. The best sports podcast going. I mean, listen, I can't disagree with that. So thank you to Char Dunn. And also make sure to rate and review the show if you haven't already. Quick five stars. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. By the way, Give a quick shout out to my intern, Zach, who has started me a YouTube channel. If you want to follow me on YouTube, there is an Aaron Torres podcast YouTube channel as well. You can hear some of the segments from this show. And of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Let's get into today's show because the story of the day is just a stunner. An absolute stunner from the world of college basketball. As I just mentioned, I'll tell you a quick side story. I have family in town this week, and, and I just figured, okay, you know, Kentucky, Evansville, that's one, uh, you know, I don't even need to DVR it, right? Like, it's going to be over in eight minutes, uh, and, and I'll talk about something else on the next episode. I end up catching the back end, and then I went back, I DVR'd the game, and went back and re-watched it on Wednesday morning right before I did this show. So I have kind of a fresh perspective on it. But it was just an insane, insane, insane game. Final score, 67-64. And I do, before we start, I listen, let's give some credit to the University of Evansville, right? 
As I said, Walter McCarty, he's been on this show. He talked about building this program from the ground up in his hometown. I don't even know if he's there yet, but going to Rupp Arena will certainly help the cause um, because you look at that game and it was a monumental win for that program. It was a game where, if I'm being perfectly honest, Sam Cunliffe, the Kansas transfer who started his career at Arizona State was probably the best player on the floor at least for a portion of that game and so I would be remiss if I didn't give some credit to Evansville they deserve to win that game they went into Rupp Arena confident they weren't afraid they competed and they deserve to win that game but this is not an Evansville basketball podcast if such a thing exists and so I want to get to Kentucky because when you're the number one team in the country and you lose at home and you have been throughout your program's history 39-0 against unranked opponents at home uh, from the non-conference and you lose a game, that is a major story. And so with Kentucky, it's like I said at the top. I think there are real causes for concern after this game, not just with this one game, but with the bigger picture of the season. But I also think there are reasons to sit back and say, okay, like, yeah, a lot went wrong on Tuesday night, and if we just clean up the little things, we'll be okay. Also, I should mention John Calipari has quite a history of turning things around late. But let's start with the bad with Kentucky and I think, first of all, we have to really, to, to, to contextualize this, we really do have to go back to last Tuesday when Kentucky beat Michigan State. And there's a reason that Kentucky was the number one team in the country. It's because everybody said Michigan State's the best team in college basketball coming into this year, including me, and on opening night, Kentucky beat them. But as I also said on the show after the Champions Classic, I do think, again, some context matters in that win. I don't want to take away from what Kentucky did, but as I said after that game, Kentucky did not get Michigan State's best version of themselves. We know that Josh Langford was out. Aaron Henry, who's probably their second best player in Langford's absence, got in foul trouble from the moment the game started, basically didn't play. Thomas Kithier was injured. He wasn't at 100%. Kyle Arns, their best three-point shooter, wasn't at 100%. And so Kentucky got the win. I don't want to take away the win from Kentucky, but I also think we have to be realistic that that was not the best version of Michigan State. The version that, that the, the reason everybody had Michigan State number one coming into the season was not because of that version of Michigan State. So that's important to note here, and I think what we saw on Tuesday was what happens when Tyrese Maxey doesn't go off for a billion points and completely take over a game, and what we saw was a very good team, and I do still think Kentucky's good. I picked them to go to the Final Four in the preseason. I'm not backing off that prediction, but a team that has problems, has holes, has weaknesses that need to be fixed right away. And I think the most important part to start is this, is that Kentucky is the type of team that I believe that where they are with the pieces that they have right now, and I do include an injured EJ Montgomery in that because he's a big piece to be missing in a game like that, where they have right now, they need to be 100% locked in on defense if they're going to beat not only the elite teams in college basketball, but as we learned last night, even like the not very good ones, um, uh, uh, Evansville was picked to finish seventh in the Missouri Valley Conference. So it's not as though they're this juggernaut mid-major. By the way, it's not even as though they played this unbelievable game. They shot 39% from the field, 30% from three. It wasn't as though somebody went off for 40 points or somebody had a, you know, a 20-20 game. Kenneth Fareed one time came into to Rupp Arena and had a great game. That's coming to my mind. I think it was Bubba Parham or whatever, had like 10 threes last year against Kentucky or the year before. This was not one of those games. And so I think what it shows you is that Kentucky is a little bit limited offensively right now, which we're going to get to in a minute. And the way that they have to win games at this point in the year is to be completely 100% locked in on defense. And they have all the tools to do that defensively. Listen, I'm not going to go through the entire depth chart, but we all know Ashton Hagens, one of the one of the if not the elite perimeter defender in college basketball. Tyrese Maxey has the skills to do the same. Emmanuel quickly has improved. Obviously, on the wing, you have Khalil Whitney and Keon Brooks, who can both get after it and cause problems like they did against Michigan State. You have Nick Richards as a rim protector. So the pieces are there. The problem is 
when you give anything less than a 100%, you have what happened on Tuesday night, which is a team that isn't elite defensively, isn't locked in defensively, and is a team that I think is going to struggle in the early portion of this season on the offensive side of the court. And that is exactly what we saw on Tuesday night against Evansville, is a team where Ashton Hagens, for whatever reason, I think he's, he's, he's a little banged up, but he's a guy that's struggling to finish at the rim. You look at the rest of the freshmen not named Tyrese Maxey, they're all struggling. Khalil Whitney, as I said the other day, he's an incredible physical specimen, but he is not ready to compete at the highest levels of college basketball right now. Keon Brooks' energy, effort, rebounding, he's not there offensively. Nate Sestina, listen, I love the kid. I think he played his butt off against Michigan State, but he was at Bucknell a year ago, and you can't expect him to just make the leap into SEC play and not miss a beat and be able to compete right away. He's a little bit limited. Nick Richards, we know, who is limited as well. And so when I look at this Kentucky team, what I basically see is two guys that can really be difference makers right now this second offensively. It's Tyrese Maxey, who is pretty obvious after the Michigan State game, and who was the best player for Kentucky on Tuesday night. And I still think I, I still believe in Emmanuel quickly. I thought he played pretty well, had a couple good pull-ups, a couple good uh, finishes at the rim, a nice deep three when, when his team needed it. And when you look at the final box score, that's basically exactly reflective of what happened in the game, is that Kentucky finished shooting 37% from the floor. Um, as I said, Emmanuel quickly with 16 points, Tyrese Maxey with 15 off the bench, and everybody else, you really didn't get all that much out of them. And so I think this is the reality of Kentucky where they are at today, is that Tyrese Maxey got to be the guy every night, and that's a lot to put on a freshman's shoulders. And I'm not saying it's fair to Tyrese Maxey, but I'm saying he and Emmanuel Quickly are really the only guys right now that are able to create their own offense. And when I look at the broader picture of this game, I think, and I tweeted this, and people thought I was a freaking idiot or they got mad at me, but I think if you sum up the game in one simple phrase, this is how I would put it. The reason Kentucky lost this game is because they didn't finish enough around the rim when they had opportunities, and they gave up too many uncontested plays at the rim on defense. People say, and I literally had a guy say, well, you're saying that they scored more points and that's why they won great analysis AT and it's like no that's not what I'm saying at all this is what I'm saying what I'm saying is I think that that phrase that Kentucky gave it didn't finish enough at the rim and gave up too many easy points at the rim is the synopsis of the problems with this team right now it's too hard for them at this particular moment to create offense and when they have the opportunities, they got to take advantage because they missed 8, 10, 12 points right at the rim that should have been uncontested layups. And then on the defensive end, you're not good enough offensively to just give up uncontested layups, to give up uncontested buckets, to not compete on every single possession. And so if I had to wrap up Kentucky in one simple phrase, that, that's what it would be. Gave up too many easy buckets on off, didn't score enough easy buckets on offense when they had the chances. It's not as though they didn't have the chances, and gave up too many easy buckets on defense. And I think it's a broader synopsis of the problems of this team. When they are not completely locked in defensively, they can lose to just about anybody right now until the offense catches up with the defense. That is the bad with Kentucky. Now, here's where. I do think, I, listen, I think it's natural for any fan base to overreact to any loss. Listen, I had Michigan State fans telling me the other day, we're overrated. I had Kansas fans telling me we're overrated. I've had, uh, you know, every fan base, North Carolina fans are miserable right now because they need a Cole Anthony to score 34 points to win their opener. Syracuse fans hate Jim Bayheim. Virginia fans are worried about their offense. So it's not a thing that's just a Kentucky thing. But what I would say is this. I don't feel that worried in the big picture that Kentucky can't turn it around even with this awful, awful, awful loss in their third game of the season. Here's a few reasons why. First of all, we've seen what this team looks like when they're 100% locked in defensively and they're getting just enough on offense. That team is called the one that beat Michigan State a week ago. And I know it feels like ancient history now, but that Michigan State team, while banged up in that game, 
is still a good a good team, and Kentucky was lights out, especially on the defensive end of the court, and that led to a lot of opportunities on the fast break, a lot of opportunities on uh, on the offensive side of the court, and I think that's another important part of the defensive element of this. If you if you're locked in defensively, you're going to create turnovers, which is going to create easy baskets going the other direction. So I think that's one with Kentucky. We've seen what they look like when they're locked in defensively, and they're really good. And they're really good. Two, let's be honest, they didn't have EJ Montgomery on Tuesday night, and I know that EJ Montgomery has struggled, and I know he hasn't made the step up that we all expected, myself certainly included. But what I would add is that you just need that big body because you need that guy that, as I just said a minute ago, can get you easy points around the rim. At the very least, can get you second, third, fourth opportunities on the offensive end if you do have missed layups, if you do have long jump shots. You need that guy. And I know he hasn't played well, but he is so important to what they do. And I think he's just a guy that can get easy points around the rim, which is what this team needs right now. And the last reason that I'm just not that worried about Kentucky is because we've seen a version of this script before. And I don't want to say we've seen this script before because we've never seen a Kentucky team under John Calipari lose to a team unranked and as undervalued as Evansville was. And it's crazy because I've been watching the Kentucky basketball era since John Wall got there in 2009. And people forget, I say it all the time, I say it every year when Kentucky has one of these clunkers in November or December. John Wall's first game at Kentucky was against Miami of Ohio, and he had to hit a buzzer beater to beat Miami of Ohio. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube. It's there. Every year, Kentucky struggles in November and December. Now, the amazing thing is, in games like this, they always find a way to just do enough to win, and Tuesday night, they didn't for whatever reason, the reason being everything that I've mentioned. But I just can't worry about this team because Every year they figure it out. And I know that's not what a Kentucky fan wants to hear at this moment. I get it. I get the frustration. I get why you just, you don't want somebody to tell you to to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. But take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Think about, I was thinking about this right after the Kentucky-Evansville game. If you just go back one year, and I know a Kentucky fan probably on Tuesday or Wednesday morning or Thursday morning is going to disagree with me, but just go back one year. Kentucky got run out of the gym by Duke. Now, you could say Duke was had the number one pick in the draft, and um, that loss is not as bad as losing at home to an unranked opponent. If you want to make that argument, that's fine. But I would say the morning after that loss, how you felt about your team, I think had to be worse on that Wednesday morning following the Duke game than the Wednesday morning following the Evansville game a year and a week later. Because with the Evansville game, you know what the problems are and you got to solve them. With the Duke game, you sat there and said, we could have played that team 100 times. We would have lost 100 of them. We have no chance. And of course, what happened? P.J. Washington evolved into an All-American, one of the best players in the SEC. Tyler Hero went from a guy that couldn't score, that couldn't defend, that really couldn't do anything. And people aren't going to believe me right now because he's getting 30 points a night in the NBA. Tyler Hero couldn't do anything his first month at Kentucky, and the credit to John Calipari, he kept putting him out there, and Hero eventually figured it out, was one of the best players in college basketball by the end of the year. Keldon Johnson evolved. Obviously, look, Reed Travis was limited, but he did what he needed to do. So that's the 30,000-foot view on Kentucky. I've seen this before. I haven't seen the loss before, but I've seen versions of really bad clunker games in November and December, and they have always figured it out. And I think they'll be okay. And I really do. And if you disagree, let me know at Twitter, Aaron underscore Torres, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I'm just not that worried about Kentucky though. All right, let's move on to the other big, massive, major story in college hoops. And I think I'm glad I waited till I did to kind of talk about this topic because on Wednesday morning, the NCAA cleared... Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State. And you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with James Wiseman, blah, 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 blah. Well, Chase Young is going to serve a two-game suspension. He, he took a loan to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl last year, and he was very forthcoming about it, and he admitted it, and Ohio State held him out, and the NCAA rewarded him 
by basically uh, giving him a two-game suspension, Maryland and Rutgers. He's back for the two big games of the year, Penn State and Michigan, and all is said and done. And so Ohio State is the example of how you're, in theory, supposed to handle these situations with the NCAA. You, you, you pull the kid out, you beg for mercy, you explain why it's not what you think it is, we're doing the right thing, and oh, by the way, Ohio State is rewarded because, let's be honest, they're going to beat Rutgers by literally 1,000 points this weekend if they really want to. Maybe not literally, figuratively. And then you have Memphis. And so I want to go back to the James Wiseman stuff. So many of you responded to it. It was, at, frankly, one of our most downloaded shows uh, of the year. And so I want to get into the James Wiseman stuff. And I think I did last week a good job of explaining what I thought happened behind the scenes in terms of how this information got out, why this information got out. And now I kind of want to go back to the soup to nuts basics of why Memphis is choosing to play James Wiseman, why it's dumb, and why it could have long-term ramifications for them. So to backtrack, a lot of you asked me, actually on Tuesday night when Memphis played at Oregon, we're going to get into that game in a minute, um, James Wiseman's on the court. I had a bunch of you just ask me point blank like, AT, like, uh, why why is this kid on the court? Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I thought he was suspended. So the way that this actually works, the NCAA doesn't actually suspend players. What they do is they tell the school, and the school takes it upon them. Basically, the NCAA says, like, look, we found this violation, that violation. We think this happened, and we're telling you, you should probably sit this kid out because we don't know if he's eligible, right? So let's take a case of Silvio D'Souza last year at Kansas, okay? So we think that there were NCAA violations, so Kansas decides, you know what, let's just hold them out, let's be precautionary. The NCAA comes in and investigates there were violations, then the NCAA hands down the punishment, and then the punishment is served. That's how it's supposed to go. What Memphis has decided is basically the, the, the school was told, this kid is not eligible. Like your coach, who was now a booster, gave him money to move from Nashville to Memphis. And so you, you should probably sit that guy because he's ineligible. And any game that he plays, you're going to have to forfeit. And 99.99999 times out of 100, the school will listen to the NCAA. And the reason is pretty simple. It's because the school doesn't want to be punished with, with bowl sanctions, with postseason ban, with scholarship reductions. And that's what you've seen throughout the history of college basketball and college football. Ohio State is like, dude, if we don't listen to the NCAA, if we don't sit out Chase Young until we figure this thing out, they could ban us from the college football playoff. They could ban us. They, they could ban us from the postseason. They could ban scholarships. They could pull 10 scholarships. They could pull 20 scholarships, whatever they want to do. And so Ohio State's like, dude, we love Chase Young, but he's not bigger than Ohio State football. Kansas is like, Silvio D'Souza is not bigger than Kansas basketball, but Memphis, Memphis, I think the combination of it's a small, insulated city, everybody loves Memphis basketball, so I think that the, the administration there, including the school president, felt pressure to be like, screw the NCAA, but what I really think happened, point blank, is that Memphis basketball and the whole school and the administration and the athletic director kind of know like, dude, this is our window right now. And like we could sit James Wiseman, but <laughs> what if the NCAA never reinstates him? Then what do we do? Then we're screwed. We have this once in a generation player for one year. And if we miss out on this window, we're never going to have another year like this. Because let's be honest, there's never going to be another situation where the number one high school player in America played AAU ball for Penny Hardaway, played high school ball for Penny Hardaway, and came to college to play for Penny Hardaway. So I think Memphis is just kind of like, this is our window right now, this second, to be relevant in college basketball, and we got to take advantage of it. But just because that was their decision, and that's why they've decided to play him. The NCAA can't show up at the FedEx Forum and have a, 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 an NCAA official grab James Wiseman by the ear and walk him to the bench. All the NCAA can do is tell the school, hey, you can't play this guy because he's ineligible. And if the school decides to play him, the NCAA, as we're going to find out, can still come down and punish them. And I and that brings me to what is the important point here, which is why it is so idiotic for Memphis to keep playing James Wiseman. And I'll tell you why. It makes absolutely no sense. Because 
to backtrack, as I said a minute ago, the reason this is an issue is not because Penny Hardaway is the head coach at Memphis and because he gave James Wiseman money. The issue is that it happened three years ago when Penny Hardaway was still a high school coach and James Wiseman was still a high school basketball player. And so the issue becomes that because Penny Hardaway has given money to Memphis, he is considered a booster, okay? So that's a big separation. This didn't happen a month ago when James Wiseman was on campus at Memphis. At least in theory, it didn't happen a month ago. It could have been going on and we don't know about it. What happened was James Wiseman's family was given money to move to Memphis to play for Penny Hardaway in 2017. Penny Hardaway is considered a booster. The booster gave money to the player. It's really kind of a cut and dry deal. But here's why it's idiotic for Memphis to keep playing James Wiseman. Because booster situations with the NCAA are actually usually pretty open and shut cases, okay? So as a general rule, Jeff Goodman tweeted this out the other day, and I actually thought it was very, very good. As a general rule, you take money from a booster. What ends up happening is for the player, you have to give that money back. You have to whatever, write a check to charity, whatever. Obviously, in this case, (laughs) James Wiseman is not going to be giving money back to Penny Hardaway. But the reason I bring it up is because not only do you have to give the money back, but as a general rule, the standard operating procedure is a booster violation you miss 30% of your team's games, okay? So in the case of Memphis basketball, that will be nine games for James Wiseman at some point that he will very, once this is resolved, he's going to be suspended for nine games. Now again, Memphis may keep choosing to play him, which we'll get to in a minute, but he will be suspended for nine games. And so this is why it's idiotic because if they had just sat James Wiseman for those nine games, then guess what? He would have already been a third of the way through that penalty because they've already played three games. And you know what the crazy part is? They would have the exact same record without James Wiseman as they do with him. They lost to Oregon on Tuesday night. They would be 2-1 and without James Wiseman. His penalty would have already been a third of the way through. And by the middle of December, they would have had him back. But instead, they've chosen to play him. And now do you know what happens? It pushes back the clock of when the suspension will start. So if James Wiseman gets the standard 30 game, 30% of the season suspension, which is nine games, that could come down in a week from now. It could come down in a month from now. In theory, listen, Memphis could legally figure out a way to maybe push this till after the season because they've gotten courts and lawyers involved. But eventually, they're going to have to vacate these wins. And so to me, this is the thing that is driving me bananas about this situation. Everyone in the media, oh, it's so crazy that Memphis is giving them the middle finger. I think most people in the media have come to realize over the last two or three days how truly stupid this is. Because Memphis, every game that he plays until this is resolved, is eventually going to have to forfeit. And eventually, it's not going to count in the record books. And eventually, those two wins over South Carolina State and Illinois Chicago to start the year are going to count as losses, and it will probably happen this year. And so now we're talking about a tournament resume where there's going to be four, five, six losses to open the year because Memphis is playing an ineligible player knowingly. And this is, again, assuming that the NCAA just goes by the protocol, doesn't try to hammer Memphis for making an example out of them. Um, And it's just so idiotic. And people will say, well, who cares? It's one season. It doesn't matter anyway. Like, Imagine being another player on this team. This was a a great conversation I had with a buddy of mine. My buddy Andre and I were talking the other day. And I said to him, like, 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 like he said, I said, my buddy and I were talking and and like, we both kind of said like, okay, if you're James Wiseman, whatever, you're going to be the number one, number two, number three pick in the draft. But on the flip side, imagine being Precious Achua or imagine being DJ Jeffries, or imagine being Lester Quinones with those super amazingly short shorts. Imagine being one of those guys, and imagine you were going to go to the NCAA tournament. You were going to have that massive stage. You were going to potentially have that stage to go off for 20 points and impress NBA scouts, and you can say the NCAA tournament doesn't matter. It matters in NBA circles. Think about Ty Jerome. Think about Kyle Guy. I don't think either of those guys gets drafted, certainly not in the spots where they were, if it weren't for the incredible NCAA tournament runs. We see it every single season. Gonzaga was Zach Collins a few years ago. Zach Collins is in the top 10 pick if Gonzaga doesn't go to the national championship game. Well, now those Memphis players might not have that opportunity. And so I keep, say, I keep hearing people say it's unfair for James Wiseman. And I do agree. I do think it's unfair for James Wiseman. It sucks. 
I want to watch James Wiseman play. But rules are broken and enforcement has to take place. And now if all those losses, if all these wins count as losses, imagine being the other guys on Memphis who are now, people are saying James Wiseman is being punished unfairly. You know who's being really punished unfairly? The kids on Memphis. The kids that want to go to the NCAA tournament. The kids that are playing their butts off that are not going to get that stage because of the fact that James Wiseman isn't eligible and the school continues to play him. So I'll tell you this, and I don't know how many Memphis fans listen to this show, but I will tell you definitively, do not applaud James Wiseman. Do not applaud Memphis and Penny Hardaway. Because they're only hurting the other 13 guys on the roster, 12 guys on the roster. And that's the truth, and that's the bottom line. And you know what's especially painful? I watched them on Tuesday night against Oregon, and they were awesome. They're a really good team. And I know people want to be critical of Penny. I get it. I don't blame them. But... They're a really talented team. I was so impressed by the guys on that roster. I was so impressed by Lester Quinones. I was so impressed by DJ Jeffries. That's a team that could, if even if James Wiseman isn't there, it, this team, I can tell you right now, if James Wiseman had never been born, if he never existed, this is a team with the players on this roster that could get to at least the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think they could honestly get further. They went 3,000 miles away, played a really good Oregon team, and they were right in that game. Now, I think Oregon was the better team, but if you watch that game and you were realistic and you're not anti-Penny and you're not anti-Memphis, you can't come out of that game saying that's not you, – you can't say that's not a really good team because that is a really good team. Again, I was so impressed by some of the guys that I really didn't know that much about. Lester Quinones, I, I've seen him. I've seen him in, in high school events, but I haven't seen him play like that. DJ Jeffries, big, strong, powerful kid down low. I was really impressed by him. I was really impressed by Precious Achua, who is a guy that I've been telling you about. I've been so imp- I was so impressed by Damian Ball, the point guard. Couple really nice passes. This is a team that, with James Wiseman, is good enough to win the national championship. But even without him, they could get to the Sweet 16. They could get to the Elite Eight. Heck, we they could get to the Final Four this year. Who this year in college basketball is that much better than everybody else? It ain't Kansas, it ain't Duke, who's going to be the number one team in the country probably, it ain't Michigan State, it ain't Kentucky after what we saw with Evansville. This Memphis team could play with anybody, but Penny Hardaway is doing his other players no good and no justice by playing James Wiseman. I really do hope, and listen, again, to be abundantly clear, and then we'll get off this topic, I hope James Wiseman eventually gets to play college basketball. I want to watch this kid play. I enjoy watching this kid play. I enjoy watching college basketball. But you can't tell me that this is the right move or the smart move for the good of the Memphis program, for the good of the other 12, 13 players on that roster. And I do hope smarter heads prevail and that they end up sitting this kid until this gets resolved. One quick note before we wrap, before we get to some of the football stuff. Have you guys been paying attention to the Pac-12? Have you guys been paying attention to the Pac-12? Because I got to tell you, this might, I don't think they're the best conference in college basketball. But when you're talking about top four, top five, top six, I'm telling you, this might be one of the best conferences in college basketball. Oregon against Memphis on Tuesday night was so impressive. And it's a credit to Memphis that they were even in this game because Oregon, they got some dudes, man. And I'll tell you this, I was critical of Oregon in the preseason. I thought there was a lot of new parts. I didn't know how they would all fit. That team looks really good. That team has a senior point guard in Peyton Pritchard. They got size down low with Francis Okoro. They got these wings that are so impressive. Um, Chris Duarte, who barely played because he got hurt early in the game. Addison Patterson, a kid who reclassified. I was so impressed with him. I really like this team. By the way, Washington. Washington plays Tennessee Vols this weekend, I should mention. But Washington... For those of you, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on Monday's show because the James Wiseman stuff overshadowed everything. But Washington with Jaden McDaniels, awesome. Isaiah Stewart, awesome. Some of their older guys, Nas Carter. Uh, they, they got guys on the University of Washington. Arizona beat Illinois. So all I'm saying is, and we'll have plenty of time to get into all this stuff. I do want to do a little bit of football before I let you go. But this could be a banner year for the Pac-12. And the most important thing for the Pac-12 is this, is that last year, the losses out of conference were unspeakable. I think uh, Oregon lost to Texas Southern, 
and Arizona lost to Alabama, who wasn't even very good, and they lost to Baylor, who uh, was, was good but not great, and I can't even remember. UCLA lost to Liberty. UCLA lost to Belmont. USC lost to Santa Clara. Well, now they're winning the important out-of-conference games that matter, and I know it's early, and I know it's too much. You can't put too much stock into the first week of college basketball, but when Oregon has a win over Memphis, when Washington has a neutral court win over Baylor, when Arizona has beaten Illinois, I think you're looking at this conference and you're like, man, this is a really good conference in college basketball. And I'll just be curious to see if they can keep it up. But I, sh- I did want to get to this before I forgot it because this is a conference that has some really good teams. And Oregon is a team, I think talent-wise, player for player, and listen, I've been a little critical of maybe how they get some of that talent to campus. They got some dudes on that team. Washington has some dudes on that team with Jaden McDaniels and um, and Isaiah Stewart. And I just think that if you love college hoops, it's first of all, it's fun when the Pac-12 is good because you get to come home from the bar on a Thursday night and flip on a Pac-12 game and you got Washington or Arizona or Arizona at Washington or Washington at Oregon or UCLA at Washington. Like you get good games at 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast. You get to have a few drinks, go home, you know, eat a hot pocket and watch some Pac-12 basketball. What's better than that? And so I think it's a fascinating year, and I do think the Pac-12 is going to be just a really fun watch this year, but they're getting the out-of-conference wins that they need to. All right, let's get to some football. All right, but before we do, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors. They are back, Blue Chew, the chewable alternative to Viagra and Cialis. Hey, fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Maybe before basketball season when you were up until 2 a.m. watching Pac-12 basketball games. The good news is that now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. I'm, of course, talking about our old friends at Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. I told you about Blue Chew in the summer, and they have come back this fall. Blue Chew is the chewable alternative to Viagra Cialis with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as those competitors, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Fellas, listen, I've told you. I took you behind the curtain. I just got married this summer, went on my honeymoon, had a great honeymoon, not just because I was on the beach for eight days. It's because, well, maybe, I don't want to say it, but maybe there was some blue chew involved. I don't want to say. All I'm saying is I've been married for six months. My wife has never been happier, never seen a bigger smile on her face, and it may or may not be thanks to blue chew. For those who are interested, here is how it works. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so you don't have to go to the pharmacy. You don't have to make a special doctor's visit. Best of all, wherever you pick it up, there is no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, They're cheaper than going to the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and use the promo code TORRES and you get your first shipment for free. All you have to do is pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code TORRES. Try it for free, and if you like it, and if your lady likes it, and I think she will, maybe go back for more. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. All right, let's talk some football here. We are incredibly, what, week 12? Is that right? We're going into week 12 of the college football season. I guess when it starts in August and we're now in the middle of November, that happens. The new rankings came out on Tuesday night, as they will throughout the end of the season. Two big points of contention, as usual, I think they're both a little bit overblown. So let's start with the first one, which is LSU jumping Ohio State at number one. I'll be honest, big picture, I have no problem with this. And I'll tell you why. It's because this is, and and to backtrack, I've been doing that a lot, right? Uh, Ohio State is the first team in the history of the college football playoff rankings to be number one, not lose a game. They won by like 58 points last week. Not lose a game and fall out of the number one ranking. But I also think it's a completely unique situation to have a number two team, LSU, go on the road, beat number three, have the resume that LSU does with four top 20 wins, three top 12 wins, two of them on the road. Like, like that's unprecedented. Like, LSU's resume is unbelievable. And to, it's for people who don't know, at Bama, 
at Texas, Florida at home, Auburn at home. Texas is ranked 19th in the in the college football poll. Auburn is 12th, Florida is 11th. Those are four really good wins. And so for everybody freaking out, if you're an Ohio State fan, I get it, right? You feel like the world's against you. Ohio State, I suspect if they beat Penn State, if they beat Michigan convincingly, if they win the, the Big Ten championship game the way that they have, I think they could potentially jump back into that top spot. I don't know if they will because LSU has to play Georgia in the SEC championship game, but I don't think it's out of play. But I, for people who are freaking out, like like my whole thing is this, right? Like I always get yelled at. I'm in the media. And the thing that I always try to do I always try to base my opinions based on current information, right? Like if you had asked me a week ago, like let's use basketball as an example. You had asked me a week ago, okay, who is uh, the is can is Kentucky now the favorite because they beat Michigan State? And I'd say, yeah, probably they are. They just beat the number one team in the country on a neutral court, a number one team that we all consensusly agreed was the best team. They struggle against Evansville. They lose against Evansville. And you're like, okay, Kentucky is not the number one team anymore. And so we got new information about Kentucky. We moved them down in the poll. It's the same with LSU. We got new information since last week. They beat the number three team in the country on the road. They have the more impressive resume. They should move up. And so I have no problem with LSU coming in at number two. The big other topic, outside, or LSU coming in number one, excuse me, the big other topic outside who's number one LSU or who's Ohio, or is it LSU or Ohio State? The other topic is, of course, who's number four. And this is something that I talked about a lot on Monday's show. And during that time, I specifically said, listen, the top three is pretty easy to figure out, right? It's going to be Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson in some order. You might not agree with the order, but it's going to be that those three teams in that order. So the question then becomes, who's number four? And I thought there was probably five or six pretty compelling teams to make the case for. One, you have Minnesota, which is undefeated, 9-0, and just knocked off Penn State, who was number four a week ago. Minnesota, you can make a legitimate case, should be the number four team in the college football playoff poll. You can make a case for Georgia. They were at number five last week. Alabama loses, you move them up. I think you could have made a case for Bama. I know their resume isn't great, but their only loss is to the now number one team in the country. I, I like I, If Bama came in at number four, I wouldn't have a major, monumental, super frustrated argument about it. I could, th- I could see the argument for Oregon. Oregon hasn't lost since the, they, they lost on the last play on opening night, have won nine straight games, look really good in the process, and are a team that right now is in position to potentially play for, play for the Pac-12 championship game against a team that is currently in number seven in the poll. And so what ended up happening was we, this is how it came out. As I said, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, number one, two, and three. Then they moved Georgia up one spot to number four. They dropped Bama down two spots, but not too far to number five. Oregon at six, Utah at seven, Minnesota at eight. Now, personally, I think Minnesota's actually got the biggest gripe. I think if I was doing this poll, I would have Minnesota at number four, not because I think they're the fourth best team in college football, but because their resume reflects the fourth best team in college football, undefeated through nine games in the Big Ten, win over a top five Penn State team last week. But Minnesota falls to number eight, and so the big freakout session happened via Oregon fans. And Oregon fans are in the Pac-12 is like, oh, it's, it's Bama, it's SEC bias. How does Bama only fall two spots? Well, the reason they only fell two spots was because they lost to the number one team in the country, number two when they played them, LSU. And I'm not saying that uh, this is a quote-unquote good loss, and I'm not making excuses for Bama, but what I am saying is I think that this poll has been historically, this is now year six of the college football playoff, this has been a week-to-week deal with reaction in real time. And so, yes, Oregon was off last week. They had a great win at USC two weeks ago, but... They did not play. Alabama played. They looked reasonably good, all things considered. And so they fall two spots, and everyone's freaking out. I'll tell you this. I know this sounds like a hot take, and listen, I guess my whole life is based on hot takes, but like, I would argue that I actually think this is not a bad situation for Oregon. And Oregon fans would be like, dude, you're out of your mind. What are you talking about? That makes no sense. Let me explain why. So first of all, Georgia being ahead of Oregon doesn't really mean all that much because I'll tell you this right now. Georgia, it's a pretty straightforward deal with Georgia. 
If Georgia loses to Auburn, they're out of the playoff conversation. Georgia plays Auburn this week. If Georgia loses to LSU, they are out of the college football playoff conversation. Georgia would play LSU in the SEC championship game. If Georgia wins out, if Georgia beats LSU in the SEC championship game, then they're going to be in. And there's nothing an Oregon fan can do about it. And it sucks, but that's the reality. If a one-loss Georgia team wins the SEC, beats the same Auburn team that Oregon lost to, beats LSU in the SEC championship game, Georgia's going to be in. So all Oregon cares about is, does Georgia get one more loss? And I think they do. I truly believe that they will somewhere along the way. So just knock them out. Oregon, you move up one spot. By the way, Bama, this is the big point of contention. Bama, well, they haven't played anybody. It's like, yeah, but their only loss was to the number two team in the country that's now number one. I'm not going to argue that Bama should fall all this way. But again, Oregon fans, deep breath. Pac-12 fans, deep breath. This is what I truly believe. If Alabama wins out, even if they win out, they, their best win is against a 8-4 a, a and four potentially Auburn team because Auburn is currently 6-2, and 7-2. They still play Georgia and Bama. So in theory, Auburn can have four losses. Alabama's best win would be against Auburn. Now, admittedly, Oregon's loss would also be against Auburn. But what I'll tell you is this. Oregon has potentially two things for it that Bama doesn't have going for it. If Oregon wins out, they will be a conference champion, Pac-12 champion. They will have the extra game. The, they call it a data point, the extra data point of the 13th game. Fast forward, they also have this. Their win over Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, Utah's currently seventh right now. Their win over Utah would be better than any Bama win. As long as Utah doesn't crap the bed, as long as Utah doesn't finish 9-3 and three or something like that, that Oregon win over Utah is huge. And so I know Oregon fans want to freak out, but this is a week-to-week poll right now. I don't really think that, like, like I think it's perfectly fine to say that Bama right now, their resume is not significantly better than Oregon's. They have a better loss. Oregon does not yet have any great wins, but they will if they beat Utah. Same with if Utah beats Oregon. And so not to freak out. So that was my big picture takeaway from the polls. I will add, I think the team that nobody's talking about, that Oregon should, Oregon's so worried about Bama and Georgia. You know who I think they should be worried about? That team at number 10, the Oklahoma Sooners. Because Oklahoma's currently sitting at 8-1. and one. They play undefeated Baylor this weekend. If they beat Baylor, not only this weekend, but in the Big 12 championship game, and those are Baylor's only two losses, you now have Oklahoma with a pretty compelling resume as a 12-1 Big 12 champ, and then you can really have the conversation of, is the Oklahoma brand so big that it's going to get the benefit of the doubt against Oregon? I don't know. Part of it is, how do these teams look? Oklahoma has given up about a billion points the last two games. Can that defense refigure it out in time to win those games? Because I think if, if Oregon wins out and they keep playing well, and they have that win over Utah, but if Oklahoma wins out but they're winning games 45-42, I think people are going to be out on Oklahoma, and I think Oregon has the advantage. If Oklahoma dominates, they beat Baylor twice, then it's a different story. So that's the team that I think Oregon should actually be watching out, which brings me to Week 12's games. I'm just going to shoot through these because we're already at about an hour into this podcast, but really quick, Oklahoma-Baylor is the headliner. It is at Baylor. Baylor is undefeated. They're one of only five undefeated teams in college football right now, along with LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Minnesota. Minnesota actually got their big national stage last week. Baylor gets it this week. What I will tell you about this game, neither of these teams is playing its best football right now. I think both of them played their best football probably sometime late September, early October. But Baylor, they had to hold on for dear life against a bad West Virginia team two weeks ago. They won 17-14. Last week, played at TCU needed a last-second field goal just to go to overtime. 9-9 nine to nine was the score going into overtime. Triple overtime, final score, they beat Oklahoma, or they beat TCU. But now they're coming into this game. They can't score. Oklahoma can't stop anybody. Oklahoma, they lost 48-41 to K-State two weeks ago. And last week against Iowa State, they won 42-41. They gave up 27 points against Iowa State in the, are you ready for this? It was bad. It was bad. Let me just tell you, it was bad. They gave up 20 points in the fourth quarter, 27 points in the second half. 
And so this Oklahoma defense has fallen back apart. This, to me, from a betting perspective, and a lot of I do a lot of betting stuff on this show, stay away. Because I don't know if it's going to be high scoring. I don't know if it's going to be low scoring. Neither team's playing well. I'll pick Oklahoma because they have so much big game experience. But I wouldn't be shocked if Baylor wins this game. That's one of the big ones. Auburn, Georgia, another one of the big ones. I'll tell you this. Georgia has been phenomenal on defense since that South Carolina loss. Last three games, they've given up a combined 17 points. Shut out Kentucky. Now, granted, that game was a monsoon. I don't even know if it counts uh, that you shut them out because there was a, a, a gallon of water on the field. Not a gallon. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. There was a lot of water on the field is the point I'm trying to make. 17 points to Florida. Shut out Mizzou last week. Georgia's playing elite defense. That offense, though, still isn't there. And I do think against this Auburn defense, Auburn has a great defensive line. They make life miserable for all quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, by the way, his worst game of the season, it wasn't against Florida. It wasn't against Bama. It was against Auburn in that defensive front. I wouldn't be shocked if Auburn pulls off the upset. I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to stay away because, again, I'm Mr. Anti-Georgian. So if I say bad things about Georgia, people will come after me. So I'll just say that's what to watch in this game. A couple other things as I wrap up here really quick. Iowa-Minnesota. Minnesota off that incredible win, a two-and-a-half-point underdog to Iowa. So that tells you what Vegas thinks of Minnesota, the dream, the Cinderella season, row the boat. It comes to an end here. I expect Iowa to get a win. Last game of interest. Michigan, Michigan State. For all the crap that Jim Harbaugh takes, it looks like he is headed for a 9-3 season because after this one, they obviously will play Ohio State in two weeks, but next week they get Indiana. And, I mean, if we're talking about 9-3 and three from where they started, their only losses at Wisconsin, at Penn State, Ohio State, that's actually a pretty good season, but they got to get past Michigan State. Michigan State's completely falling apart. They had a 31 to 10 halftime lead going into the fourth or excuse me, third going into the fourth quarter last week. They were up 31 to 10 to Illinois and lost 37-34. Michigan State is reeling. Michigan better win this game. That's all I'm going to tell you or the Boo Birds will be at, back out for Harbaugh. It's going to be a great weekend of college football. I'll tell you this. I'm recording this podcast before I have a chance to make my official picks, so make sure you go to AaronTorresOnline.com Thursday where I will have my official picks. But that is all for today's show. It was a long show. It was a fun show, but I appreciate you guys listening. And as I said at the top, I really hope that Villanova, Ohio State, or LSU, VCU doesn't go 11 overtimes tonight because then I'll have to jump in and re-record. But I want to thank you for subscribing to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, if you're on the KSR feed, come over to the Torres feed. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to this show. I'm telling you, if you enjoyed today's show, that's basically what you're going to get from now until the end of March and beyond with College Hoops. Also, rate and review the show. As I said, give us a quick five stars. Instagram, make sure you're following at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Find me on YouTube. I'll have a couple other things over the next couple weeks, but that is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, the Australian legend. We will be back next week.